This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along. With a week until the transfer window closes, Liverpool's defensive issues surely can't be overlooked any longer. Is it time FSG and the Reds swallow their pride and act? Plus, Mohamed Salah gets the Reds firing at Old Trafford ahead of Thursday's trip to Tottenham. Review, preview, transfer overview. We've got you covered here on the Blood Red podcast with our Liverpool correspondent, Paul Gorst, Joe Rimmer and Connor Dunn. Gorsty, nice to be back on a pod with you. I think we've been like ships in the night over recent weeks. But I'll come to you first yeah. up with the uh, the heavy question. Can Liverpool in the final week of the transfer window afford not to go and bring someone in? Personally, no. Um, I think Liverpool, or rather the owners, as I wrote in, in the, the match the last night, have basically gambled the status of Premier League champions on the fact that Jürgen Klopp will be able to manage an injury crisis this bad. Um, you know, he's had his first two centre-backs out for, what is it now, three months. Um, and somehow he's been able to kind of maintain Liverpool towards the top or near the top up until about three weeks ago and, and it's all kind of caved in. And um, I think a lot more than just the wages of a stopgap sign and now rests on you know the the willingness or the the inability or unwillingness as it is to to bring someone in. I, I think it's um, I think it's a frankly ludicrous situation at Liverpool. They're in the position they're in where they're having to play a midfielder and an 18 year old centre back at Old Trafford in the FA Cup at Anfield against Manchester United in the top of the table clash. Um, you know, wherever else you you, you kind of want to. Even even if you look at Tottenham last month when Liverpool won two one, you know, okay, it was a, it was a win, but it was still a, a huge risk going into that game with with Reece Williams playing, and um, you you reluctant to criticise him because he's just a young lad making his way in the game who's been pushed into the deep end. Really, he was on loan at Kidderminster the Harriers last season, and all of a sudden he's playing for Liverpool pretty much most weeks when John Matip is out. So you can't really criticise him, but the fact that Liverpool are in this position is. Um, it's outrageous, really, because just so much has been kind of gambled on the fact that the club's going to be able to, to continue on. And it's um, it's bitten in the last few weeks and um, it's no real surprise, probably. We are, of course, working from home. Joe, I know your dog's barking away in the background, but if you can get a word in edgeways, what do you make of it all? Yeah, I pretty much agree with Gorsley. Um <clears throat> I actually think Liverpool, you know, we, we give them a lot of credit for their transfer strategy and, and, the, and the owners, you know, and, and I think, you know, we as a publication and, and individually, I think each of us have probably been criticised before for being, um, in inverted commas, too nice to, to FSG. But personally, I, you know, I think we've always criticised when, when we've had to and I think this is a time when we should criticise. And I think Liverpool's poor planning goes back to the summer, you know, they left themselves with three centre-halves and Fabinho, with Fabinho being the emergency, um, if you like, option. But they, they gambled big time on, on Joel Matip and, and we know that Joel Matip has a, has a poor injury record. We know um, that he, he hasn't really ever strung a, a run of games together at Liverpool. And I, I find it bizarre considering Klopp spoke at the start of the season about how the season was going to be intensive, how difficult it was for players. And now Joel Matip can't play 
you know, two games on the bounce because they're coming that quickly. And they're having to leave him out completely yesterday to protect him for Tottenham. And I think it's poor planning on Liverpool's part. I think, again, they do place a lot of a lot of faith in Klopp as a manager to, to pull them through crisis like this and, and to, to, to manage the squad that they've got. But, you know, Liverpool knew they needed a centre-half and um, decided to go without them. Again, I think, you know, at times Liverpool have been too nice to players and they allow players to leave when perhaps they should make them stay. And I think if they weren't going to replace Dejan Lovren, perhaps he should have been made to stay for an extra year. Um, I think he had a year left on his contract. But then see it out. And I can't believe they've put themselves in this position. Um, and now that they're in this position, I can't believe that they've decided not to do anything. And look, I know that Liverpool don't, as a club, tend to sign stop gaps. But, you know, every, everyone has to cut their cloth accordingly at times. And, you know, I think they probably should have got out and bought one. I think it's too late now. I think the time's passed. I don't think they can. I don't think they will um, sign anyone now. But my big fear is the damage is done. Um, personally, this might sound a bit negative, but I don't think they'll win the title from it. I don't think they'll win the Champions League, and they're obviously now at the FA Cup. So, you know, the, that might be a very bleak prediction, but, you know, the, it's been an exceptional campaign in terms of injuries. You know, not, not many teams will have been hit this hard in, in just one area, um, and that's not even starting to look at the other areas, such as Diogo Jota and other injuries and niggles that they've had throughout the season. But to leave themselves this exposed... I think is a massive, massive error. And now they're just going to get as close to the top as possible, stay in the top four and, and get through. But it's a massive shame because I still, you know, I've said it all along and I still believe it. I still think Liverpool, when they have players fit, um, are the best team in this league. And all right, form might say otherwise at the moment. But, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think United or City have been hit that hard. I know Aguero's missed most of the season, but they have such a, a wealth of talent there. And it's not as if Aguero's been injured along with other players. So, I think it's been hard on Liverpool, but poor planning, poor reactions. What can you say? Um, it's really disappointing. Connor, has the handling of Reese Williams as well not been quite poor as well? Gorsty sort of saying he's a teenager who's been at the club since the age of 10. It's not his fault that he's been needed to answer the cries for help for Liverpool. And in many ways, in certain, certain games, hung out to dry and then exposed, unfortunately, to some brutal reaction online, which won't have done him any good. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'll answer that in a second, but I honestly just want to repeat the point that I made last week on the pod after the United draw, why they didn't have one lined up for January the 1st. All right, fine. Let Lovren leave in the summer. Okay, we can deal with that because you've got three centre-backs. You've got a stand-in. Okay, when three of them get injured in October, essentially, you know John Matt's not going to get a run. You've got two months to line one up for January the 1st. And I took Doyle on on it because I was like, pay over the odds for someone. If you're going to go for someone in the summer, pay over the odds from now. Don't let the season derail. The best position Liverpool have ever been in my lifetime. Why just let it disintegrate over not essentially signing one player, maybe going to pay a little bit more for him. Somebody like Ben White, I know they've tracked anyway. They want him or they wanted him. So why not just go and get him? I know you're going to have to pay a little bit more and financial situations aren't the best, but you think the rewards at the end of the season the financial rewards that come with those rewards would far outweigh the initial outlay on any player now but as joe mentioned there it's it's, it's way too late now we're we're five days or six days from the transfer window closing and what are they going to do it'd be if it's a rush now it it'll be a useless a useless effort signing it's just it's silly but yeah to go back to your point on reese williams it's 
really disappointing. You know, he's a, he's a young kid. As Gorsi said, he's on loan at Kidderminster Harriers last year. He's had to come up. And to be fair to him, he, he stepped up really well when he's been asked to. But when he stepped up and Liverpool have kept clean sheets, the people in the attack haven't scored. So the results haven't been very good. And then when they have scored, it's left him a bit more open and a bit more vulnerable. And then you have clever players like Cavani and like Fernandes coming on yesterday who, you know, he never would have experienced anything like an Edison Cavani before. You know, he's been around a long, long time. He's a wily striker. He's going to get the better of Williams, you know, quite comfortably. And it's it's not fair to expect Williams to essentially lead Liverpool's backline as the one recognised central defender against a top-class Man United striker in the fifth round of the FA Cup. It's, it's unbelievable, really. No, and even on sort of the man next to him, Gorsty and Fabinho, we've seen now a couple of incidents at home to Sheffield United and that incident at the end of the game yesterday where he's tried, I suppose, midfield tackles in defensive positions. And regardless of whether you think the players have gone down softly and it shouldn't have been a foul, he's given the referee an opportunity to penalise him. And obviously on both occasions, the penalty was scored against Sheffield United, albeit Liverpool won. But yesterday, it's obviously knocked them out of the FA Cup. Yeah, um, I, I was at Chelsea when the when the team news at centre half, and I think he was alongside Van Dijk that day. And um, as tends to be the case, there was enormous kind of worry and concern about the fact that Fabinho was going to be playing at centre back. And um, you'd take Fabinho on a heartbeat now at centre back when you, you're delighted when he's fit and the fact that he's he's able to play at centre back. He's he's reinvented himself in, into probably one of, one of the best centres. I think he's had a fantastic season. He's probably been Liverpool's player of the season so far. Um, but you, you're right, you know, sometimes the, the fact that he is a, a midfielder by trade does creep in and one or two tackles fly in when, you know, maybe not what another experienced uh, natural centre-back would do. And, and that was certainly the case against Cavani yesterday. I did think it was a foul. I know some people have suggested otherwise, but I can't look at that objectively and say that it wasn't a foul. Um, and, and he did it against Sheffield United, as you mentioned, and that, that was a little bit more more nuanced, I think. I think I'm not even sure it was in the penalty area now looking back on it. But um, look, I'd, I'd be reluctant, to, certainly reluctant to criticise Rhys Williams um, and probably even more so for Bino because I think he's been fantastic. And he's another one who's been injured as well, hasn't he? He had the hamstring injury back in October, was it, or November? Um, so he's another one who's been on the shelf, and it's just been it's just been a catalogue of errors and and setbacks at centre back this season that sadly now looks like it could cost Liverpool the title, and, and we're going to get onto it no doubt. But Thursday night now is is huge, and um, we said United was the biggest game in the season what eight days ago. This one on Thursday is going to be just as big in terms of um, Liverpool potentially either dropping out the top four or giving the season a massive shot in the arm, which. Uh, hugely needs at the moment. Yeah, Connor, I know we, we spoke on Friday's podcast and everyone was sort of in agreement on Friday about Liverpool's chances for the top four, but just wondered if, if any of you guys are, are worried about that and whether or not Liverpool should have done something more decisive. Look, today Chelsea have sacked a club legend in Frank Lampard. They might be in ninth, but they are only five points off Liverpool and looks like they're going to be bringing in a, a coach who guided PSG to the Champions League final last season. They're being decisive midway through the season with the hope that it will bear results in the second half of the campaign. Yeah, so to touch on your first point, not, I'm personally not worried about Liverpool making top four. Um, 
I think if Matip gets a little run, they'll be absolutely fine. Henderson getting back in the team is massive. You know, you miss him so much. Um, Jota coming back, obviously, February will be massive as well. There's a, there's a few things that will happen, and I think Liverpool will have plenty to get into the top four. Because I, I still, as Joe said, I think they're probably the best side in the Premier League. And certainly, with everyone's fit, um, I don't think they're going to have any issue getting into the top four. And to touch on your Chelsea point, <laughs> they've been ultra decisive, of course. But sacking a manager again in the nature that they have, I'm not sure he's going to have the exact catalyst effect that they want it to um obviously they want top four they sent a lot of money in the summer um and they might get that inevitable new manager bounce but the new manager is going to have to come in and worked work with these players that he hasn't worked with before they're not gelling as a unit he's got so much to do and maybe now wasn't the time to sack Lampard in terms of going forward in the season but it's what Chelsea do isn't it so there you go is it, Joe, comparable to Liverpool in terms of the, the decision-making? Chelsea felt as though they had the players, but the manager not getting enough out of them. Whereas Liverpool, they've got the manager. The one glaring issue is the centre of defence and no decisions are being made. To be honest, I don't, I don't like comparisons with Chelsea. I think Liverpool and Chelsea are two very different clubs with two very different philosophies. And, you know, I'd take Liverpool's philosophy over Chelsea's every day of the week. I think it's it's the better way of running a football club you know perhaps Chelsea could point to the trophies that they've won in, in the last you know, 10 15 years and, and and say that you know that perhaps it might not be the most noble approach but it's effective but saying that you know they do fluctuate in terms of their form and league position and you know I think Liverpool are, are far more capable of, of getting into the top four and, and winning major trophies than, than Chelsea at the moment um you know Frank Lampard was, was always inexperienced um, and, and probably, you know, I don't think anyone would have bet against him getting the sack at some point. But yeah, so I, I don't really like the comparisons between the two. You know, I think you look back at the summer and Chelsea spent a hell of a lot of money and there was a lot of, I mean, I remember I was working the night that, that Werner um, signed for Chelsea and, you know, people were taking aim at the owners then and, you know, I, I immediately wrote a piece sticking up for them and I, and I still believe I was right there. You know, I don't think, I think that they had the whole summer still to go and then they brought in Diogo Jota, which I think has proved to be a good signing. So, you know, I, 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 I don't think that anyone should be envious of Chelsea spending, but I think Liverpool could have been cleverer in the way that they treated the centre-half. They, they fixed other issues. They brought in an extra left-back. They brought in a, another midfielder and they brought in another attacker. But the one other glaring issue was a centre-half. Um, and, you know, I've no doubt that Liverpool will go out and buy a centre-half in the summer to come. And I've no doubt that, that, that they'll have done their homework, that, that they will they will buy someone that they've got massive faith in. But... But I still can't help but think that this is such a massive opportunity missed. And, you know, teams go through spells of being being very good. And, at the, you know, at this point in time, I think Liverpool are at their peak. And injuries now will probably curtail a season, which should have promised a whole lot more. And that's down personally. I think it's down to poor planning. Um, you know, Chelsea, Chelsea spent a lot of money. They spent aggressively, perhaps not as carefully as Liverpool do. Um, you know, I'm not convinced that, that there was a lot of planning going into Timo Werner or Kai Havertz. But um, but Liverpool could have been better. So I don't really think the two situations are comparable, but I do think you can be critical of both of them in different ways. Well, well, sorry, guys, just, just to interject, what I would say is kind of 
not so much sticking up for, for the club's owners, but I think there is mitigation and, and there is a reason as to why they haven't gone in the market. They're, they're still playing behind closed doors. They haven't had any fans inside Anfield, really, apart from three games of 2,000 fans each since March. So they're losing about £3 million per home game. Um, on top of that, they've got one of the biggest wage bills in the sport, which was at £310 million, I believe, earlier this summer. So since then, they've signed Diogo Jota and Thiago Alcantara. Conservative estimates, what would you suggest there, on £100,000 each? So there's an extra £200,000 added to that wage bill. So there's not unlimited cash reserves at Liverpool, and, and they've never made any secrets of that. Um, it's just a case of surely some funds could have been freed up somewhere along the line to have brought in. No, I, I, I think it's unrealistic to expect a um, blockbuster summer signing to arrive six months earlier. I really do, but it's a, it's a question of surely there has to be someone around who is dependable, um, of adequate quality, that is going to be less of a risk than playing uh, Nat Phillips or um, or Reese Williams. I, I think that, for me, is, is, is why so many fans have got a point when they're kind of demanding a player to be bought because I don't think anyone has come through those in January it's just a case of was there not a, I always go back to Ragnar Clavin was there not a Ragnar Clavin available to, to come in and steady the shift for six months um, that for me is where, where the big mistake has been made that's that, that the thing sorry to, just to interject I was going to say Clavin because I think you know Liverpool talk about how they, they don't do stop caps but they bought that Ragnar Clavin and he, he turned out to be a good sign and for them for a couple of seasons and then they moved him on and they progressed as a team but to me it was you know if they surely they plan however many windows in advance surely they would have looked at it and gone okay yeah all right we get down to, to Fabinho but why don't we go out and look and try and find someone and perhaps look perhaps they did perhaps they did look around and go look there's nobody we can really think that we can agree a deal for there's, that fits the price range whatever maybe they did and I think this is the difficult thing about sitting there criticising the owners, the, the, the management or whatever, is that you, you're you not privy to what goes on behind closed doors. There's only so many things that people will tell you. So, you know, I, I seen a few people on Twitter last night saying, you know, find out this and that. And, you know, I think you've got to understand that there's only so much you can find out. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it, that's the obvious one to me. You know, you look at Clavan and he was a very clever signing for what he was worth. And, and I thought he, he coped admirably. And he, he was a step up from someone like Reese Williams, who, with the best one in the world, might go on to be a better player than Clavan. But is 19 and perhaps just doesn't make the right choices. 19 is very, very young for a centre half. So, yeah, I, I, to reiterate Gorsi's point, Clavan was the one for me that says Liverpool can do it. So, why didn't they? The other thing with this situation is City last season almost did exactly the same thing. I know, obviously, company left the club. And it's different, obviously, losing Van Dijk to injury. But similar deal, you don't have your, like, talisman and central defence available. And then Fernandinho drops back. They had issues. Didn't sign a defender. Didn't sign a centre-back. Dropped away in the title race. Signed one in the summer. Looks super strong because they've got a full complement of defence. And it's not exactly like this is all a big surprise that this is happening. It's not like, a oh, we didn't see this coming or I hadn't seen this before. This is new. It's... It's just something they should have seen, really, really should have seen. And again, City probably, you could say the same, probably did try and get a player when company left, but didn't, fail to, and look what happened. They lost they lost out in the title race big time. So similar thing is happening to Liverpool right now, and we're witnessing it ourselves. So there we go. 
Yeah, certainly. Gorsley, on the point you were making in terms of money lost for Liverpool and everything, I think a lot of people can probably accept that they'll wait till the summer to make a blockbuster centre-half signing. But is there not an opportunity and maybe spread those payments like they've done with the Diogo Jota deal? So therefore free up some cash now for whether it be a short-term loan. That would sort of seem to work the situation out. Wait for Van Dijk and Gomez to return from injury. Know your pecking order of defenders and add one to that. But in the meantime... Bring somebody in on loan. Yeah, the, the loan market was, was possibly an issue, wasn't it? It was just seen for Kyle Tamori move to AC Milan and possibly Chelsea wouldn't have, have been willing to do business there. But just just someone of, of that kind of ilk, someone who's going to be solid and dependable for, for three, four months, five months. Uh, it's um, You know, what, what the, the upshot of, of that is, is potentially losing more ground in the Premier League title race and, you know, we you waited 30 years to win it and you look like you're going to crack on and, and become a, a real kind of force for years to come. And then it falls away just because of the misfortune of injuries and, and the unwillingness or, or the inability to act on it. It just seems such a such a shame. Um, but we, we, we don't know if Liverpool have tried to sort that, but everything that we've, we've been led to believe for, for quite some time now is that January was, was never going to be the month. So... Um, Liverpool, it looks like, sadly, they're going to have to kind of um, put all the eggs in, in the Joma teeth basket, which, um, as, as we've discussed, has never proven to be the uh, the most sturdy. It's made of crisps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not what you want from a basket, certainly when it's wet outside as well. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, Joe, not that stuff. Joe, uh, looking at, at Liverpool, and there was sort of something came out on, on social media regarding... Former Arsenal defender Socrates Papastatopoulos, and he's obviously worked with Jurgen Klopp at Borussia Dortmund. Looks as though he's going to Olympiacos. But again, we spoke about Clavan. It would seem the sort of right fit for Liverpool to just bring someone in, in as a stopgap, even if it's on a short-term contract, and maybe paying over the odds. It's not what FSG do, but maybe it's needed to secure that Champions League spot. I made up they didn't sign him just because of the struggles you've just had trying to say his name. <laughs> and, you've, and you've been watching him. So, to be honest, I, I'll, I'm going to push this back on you, Guy. Just, you tell us, is he any good? I, I don't know. I, I had nothing but bad things, so perhaps that's why Liverpool stay clear. Yeah, and no, I don't think he's the, the best defending high and sort of getting exposed in wide areas. But I, I suppose it comes to that experience. He's a player that Jurgen Klopp has worked with in the past. He, he surely could have done a job. I see what you mean. I do think the slight difficulty for Liverpool is that a lot of people are saying, you know, they should have gone out and bought, you know, myself included, an experienced centre-half. But there's no good getting a Socrates, for example, if he's just going to get exposed week after week and he's no better than Reese Williams or Nat Phillips. And I think that that is the challenge Liverpool have. But this is why I go back to last summer and think, you know, that's when... They should have been planning for this, not now when you're in crisis and, and struggling each week. Because even if, even now, let's say they went out and bought a first choice of Ben White or Pam Meccano or someone like that, you know, they'd still need time to settle. They would still be thrown in at, at a time when Liverpool are struggling. So it'd be, it'd be incredibly difficult, wouldn't it, for, you know, let's say they bought Ben White. You put him straight in, you know, Tottenham away, and then, you know, you've got Leipzig in the Champions League, you've got the, the Merseyside derby, you've got tough, tough games. And if he doesn't make a good start, it makes his life really difficult. So, you know, that's why I think now the, the thought of buying someone like Socrates or, or bringing him in on a free doesn't, doesn't really help anyone, really. I, I don't think it makes Liverpool any better. I think they should have done this last summer or had something lined up for January. So, 
Yeah, I mean, I don't really see the point in going out and getting someone like Socrates. I don't think he probably proved to be any better than a, um, a Reese Williams, but but that's the position Liverpool have put themselves in, so it's, it's frustrating. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Let's talk about some positives now move forward. Gorsty at Old Trafford. Liverpool got two goals. We've been waiting for one. They got two. Mohamed Salah with a brace. Yeah, and, and, he, and he took them very well, didn't he? It was good to see kind of... Uh, the first one was it was a superb goal. I thought it's a lovely ball from Firmino. Salah waited and dinked. Um, wasn't David De Gea, as I thought it was for much of the game. It was actually Dean Henderson, and I wasn't the only one who made that mistake in the press box. Um, lovely finish off his right foot, and took it like he like a man in confidence, didn't he? Um, and Firmino played him in, like, like you know, like turning on a switch, which which made it all, all the more baffling. Why he's just... Struggled so much for goals in the Premier League. When you see they, they can, they're able to just turn the hand at that as soon as a kind of half chance presents itself. And for the second one as well, I thought the thought Firmino laid them in nicely. James Miller did very well to get out the way, and and again it's a nice finish. Um, and it was it was much more of a Liverpool goal if you like, with with pressing from the front and making the most of a bit of indecision at the back from United. So. They were positive to take. I thought it was probably the best Liverpool have played for a good few weeks, but um, ultimately they've come away from. Old Trafford with nothing to show for it, and they're out the FA Cup, which is no great shame. Um, particularly, I know Jurgen Klopp won't be that, you know, that that disappointed. But I think kind of the the venue and the opposition will hurt more than actually going out the cup. Yeah, we saw on on Thursday with the the Burnley game, Connor. As soon as Divock Origi hit the bar, everyone was like, "Well, that's that." And Liverpool seem over the last few weeks to have kind of had the handbrake on. They they didn't at all at Old Trafford. They were really taking the game to United, and obviously five goals shared in the end. But going forward, it was looking as though Liverpool were getting back towards their best. Yeah, definitely. Um... It was good to see. I know, obviously, there's been plenty of analysis about where position of Trent and Robertson have been in terms of when they're dropping a bit deeper and stuff. Um, I thought they looked like they were playing higher up. I thought they looked like they were finding more space. I thought Liverpool looked way more at it all over the place. Um, but, yeah, it came, come from that pressing pressing from the front. Um, and Firmino is probably the one for me. When he is on, the, on his game, when he's chasing down players, when he's winning tackles right at the very front line. I think people behind him pick themselves up and think, hang on, we can go with him here. We can back him. We can get the ball forward. And obviously with the two goals, as soon as you allow somebody the quality of Firmino a little bit of space, you get punished. And, you know, Salah's two finishes, I thought were excellent. The first one was superb, right-footed as well. Um, it, it's, just, it's just strange how it hasn't happened. But, I mean, watching that and the calibre of opposition as well, you think Liverpool will have no trouble scoring goals going forward. But with that comes a little bit of more fragility at the back. Um, it's all a bit helpful ever at the front, which we're so used to seeing with such a solid base, but that base isn't quite as solid anymore. So that's where you find some issues in teams like Man United score goals against you because you're more free-flowing, more attacking players are higher up the pitch, chasing down, which leaves gaps and exposing the counter-attack as, as they did do on a couple of occasions. Yeah, definitely. Joe, how pleased were you to see Roberto Firmino back doing what he usually does? He's coming for a bit of criticism in recent weeks, but he did seem to, to play a key part in the, in the goals. Yeah, I think Connor's spot on. I think I think he is getting Firmino playing is the key to getting Liverpool playing, isn't it? You know, when he when he's on form, he attracts players to him. He he opens up space for for, for Salah and Mane, and I feel slightly sorry for Salah and Mane because I think there's been a bit of criticism of them too, but I think they are often feed on 
what Liverpool's midfield and, and what Firmino does around them, and then they can get into those little pockets of space. And they haven't been allowed to do that. And Firmino just hasn't been on it. And you know, it's it's a difficult one. Or Liverpool going through a transition? Should he be the one that they should be planning to replace? It's hard to say. I think he's going to be the most difficult player in the team almost to, to one day replace. But it was good to see him getting back to his best. He battled well. He, you know, he, he got involved in, in every little good moment that Liverpool had. And, and all right, he didn't look a goal threat. But Firmino never really does. You know, he still pops up with the odd important goal like he did against Spurs. But, you know, I don't think his main job is to, to look a goal threat. It's to create threats. For um for Salah and Mane and he did that well for Salah yesterday and I, I thought he was I thought he, he looked a lot better and I hope they can keep him playing because if they can I think um Liverpool's front three will will click back into gear um, but I, I just also wanted to make a shout for I thought Curtis Jones played very well um more advanced and there's a rawness about Jones that I like at times you know I think I he's, when he came centrally I thought he was excellent yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, he was. He was, and he he's strong, and he doesn't hide. He gets involved. He he gets himself on the ball. He makes things happen. And you know, I, I we'll talk about picking the team later. I'd, I'd be tempted to play him against Tottenham. And you know, I think he's had a really good season quietly for Liverpool. Um, I thought that was a reminder um, to everyone of how good he is. And perhaps he's you know, as Liverpool have got players back fit in the midfield area, he's been the natural one to drop out. But perhaps that's slightly unfair. Perhaps he should stay in the team because. You know, I thought he did well yesterday. and He's impressed this season. Um, really mature, but still has that rawness that, that you need at times. So I thought he played well. No. That enthusiasm when Liverpool are in this moment and that willingness to drive forward and willingness to chase every ball and willingness to run to the 90, even though they're not playing well, it was, it was, it's been missed and it was really, really good to see. And I think he's another that got Liverpool playing. Liverpool's players around him thought, OK, he's running, we'll do the same, we'll follow him, we'll back him, he's young, we'll play with him. And yeah, I thought, I thought Jones, Jones played really well as well, to be fair. Yeah, Liverpool's dip in form has coincided with him coming out of the side. And Gorsty, with the return of uh, Thiago Alcantara, what is it, five starts now for Liverpool and no win? And I suppose moving ahead and looking towards Tottenham, the game might be quite similar, them sitting deep and looking for their fast attackers to counter. And I think when we were all getting excited about Thiago coming to Liverpool and to the Premier League, it's what he could do with the ball. But I thought a couple of times at Old Trafford without the ball, he was flying into a few reckless challenges and defensively maybe not quite um, the same kind of player as what you obviously have with Fabinho in there. Yeah, he doesn't mind the tackle, does he? But I think that's been one of the most surprising things of of being able to watch him regularly. That's something that I missed when he was at Bayern and Barca is, is seeing him throw a tackle in. I've seen put in a few now. Um, sometimes they're a bit reckless and mistimed and sometimes he... He wins it quite well. Um, that is a, an interesting part of his game. But yeah, I, th- I think I think Wiley Mourinho will will know that using a similar game plan to to last month when he was at Anfield, and, and he'll have watched that game yesterday and know that if he can keep his counter attack and threat high and, and be brave and bold and in that sense, when Trent Alexander Arnold is bombing on, that there could be chances for them if if it breaks down. And, and we saw that yesterday, didn't we, with Marcus Rashford, who was the game's outstanding player. Gave Paul Rhys Williams a, a tot of time and it was a bit of a mismatch. So I, th- I think Mourinho will have looked at that. But um, I, I'm not too worried about Thiago at the moment. I think he's, um, he's he's had two and a half months out after coming into a new team. He's had coronavirus, he's missed games. So he's just finding his feet and, and um, no doubt he will. Um, I'd, I'd still be minded to, to play him on, on Thursday, but I'm sure we'll come to our team shortly. 
Yeah, surely. Can we'll I just say? Sorry. Yeah, 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 after you, Connor, you go first, and then Joe. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> when Liverpool obviously brought Thiago in the summer, they're not going to be expecting him to be playing in midfield without Fabinho, without Henderson, without Wijnaldum. And that's your midfield where you think they can sit in the sixes and just let Thiago go and do his thing further up the pitch. But he's, Thiago is playing in the six. Fabinho, Klopp says, Fabinho himself says he is a six and he's a natural six. But Thiago's had to play in his position. It's maybe not quite the game that Liverpool bought him for. And that's, I guess, where the missed time tackles are slightly coming in. He's trying to play a game that's not his like, natural game to go and be the number eight crazy creator, finding the gaps, the lines, the last pass and everything, turning tight spaces. He's playing a different role, which I think has been kind of tough on him as well, to be fair. But that's the other thing that injuries bring you without replacing players is another one. That, that's it, isn't it? I think, you know, we looked at it when Thiago signed in the summer. A lot of us assumed, um, perhaps unfairly, that, that Gini Van Arden might be the fall guy with his contract situation and, and you'd have Henderson, Fabinho and Thiago as your three. And it's never been that way, has it? You know, because of the, the injuries that Liverpool have had. I thought Liverpool badly miss Henderson. And I think that's another thing that the, you perhaps has, has been a bit overlooked this season is Henderson has had you know various little injury problems that have kept him out for two three game spells and when he's in the team and when he's in midfield Liverpool just look far better and you know I think they just missed his energy yesterday I think for all Thiago's qualities he doesn't have the same energy and um, I think Liverpool is just a far better team with, with Henderson in it so you know one of the knock on effects of this centre back situation is is Liverpool's midfield the balance just doesn't seem right and I do feel slightly for, sorry for Thiago because like Connor and Gorsley said he, he's you know been thrown into a team early doors and not perhaps playing his natural game not in a, a steady team in a, in a team that keeps getting changed with a you know a back four behind him that keeps getting changed a midfield around him that keeps getting changed you know it must be quite difficult and you add to that the hype that that it's brought it doesn't help I mean sometimes it makes me laugh you know I see fans like saying Thiago this Thiago that it, he hasn't really done anything in Liverpool's shirt just yet he's had two really good games and one was at Chelsea when Chelsea had 10 men another was the Derby which I thought he was excellent um, he came on had a cameo at Newcastle he thought he was very good but I don't think we've seen anywhere near his best um, but the hype that accompanies, accompanies him, I just think, is a slightly too much at times. So I just think he needs time to settle. But I think Liverpool badly miss Henderson. They miss Fabinho in that midfield as well. Um, so, you know, that makes it harder to take that Wijnaldum's probably going to leave because, you know, we've hardly seen the other guys play him in midfield and Liverpool are going to lose their, their other best midfielder. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose it's difficult with the, the runner games that are to come, Gorsty, ahead of the return of Champions League action. We've got on screen now the next five games for Liverpool, four of the Premier League's top seven at the time of recording in that. Tottenham and West Ham away this coming week and then Brighton and City at home before a trip to Leicester City. It's always difficult making predictions in these times, but this is a tough run of games for Liverpool to, to get back into form in the Premier League. Yeah, no question. It's um, you, you, particularly with Liverpool playing Thursday. I think are both Manchester clubs playing playing this week. I know is it um, Everton Leicester? Is it? Uh, so that's that's another big game that Liverpool will be keeping an eye on. And these, these kind of midweek games, you know, they, they do have, have the potential to, to turn it all on its head. You know, we've seen it when Liverpool were top a couple of weeks back. United played Burnley and. Um, next thing you know, Liverpool are no longer top, and then Liverpool get beat against Burnley, and, and suddenly there's six points off, and it's going to be another massive week. And, and this game against Tottenham, 
is most certainly a, a must not lose. Um, but I'd even argue that Liverpool can't even afford a draw at this stage because um, if, if they're serious about still becoming champions, they can't allow that gap to be furthered any more than it is. You know, if, if City win their games in hand, they're, they're seven points clear. Um, that, that's a, it's a big turnaround for, for Manchester City. And, and OK, they have dropped points over the last 18 months, two years, and, and they have dropped points this season. But I think um, the, the Liverpool can't allow that to get too far ahead because... Um, Looking ominous at the moment, City. I've always said if you finish above City, you'll probably win the league. And um, while there's question marks over whether United will last the course, I think City are far better equipped to do that. And um, anything other than a win on Thursday is um, is, is just a, a nail in the coffin for me. Yeah, City go to, to West Brom on Tuesday and Manchester United welcome Sheffield United to Old Trafford on Wednesday. But it's mad, isn't it, Connor, that when we sort of look at these runs of fixtures that... We're sort of questioning it. Last season, it didn't matter, maybe apart from the Manchester City games and a trip to Old Trafford. You weren't really concerned as to whether Liverpool could win a game or not. But as Gorsty says, it's must not lose. But even beginning to sort of get into the territory of don't draw, must win. Yeah, must win in terms of the title aim. But I think looking at that run of fixtures, it's interesting because... Liverpool always seem to raise their game against the big teams. You know, when Jose Mourinho's around, Liverpool are at it. Man City's obviously a massive game. They're more games that you don't need to provide extra motivation for. And I think, you know, throughout my Liverpool sporting life, it's always you more Brighton's that you're worried about than the Tottenham's. It, bizarrely, because obviously these games are really are really tough in the way that Liverpool, the situation Liverpool are in the minute and the situation that t- teams like Tottenham are. But I think it's an opportunity for Liverpool to go and put a statement out. It's an opportunity for Liverpool to go and prove themselves again, get a win against Tottenham. It's a much, much bigger boost than, say, the Burnley game. I mean, you get a 1-0 win against Burnley, it's decent. You're on the right track, you're getting these wins. But get a 1-0 win against Tottenham and you, you're suddenly onto a, a bigger springboard. The three points almost means more just because of the way the title race is going. And it's similarly, get a win at City. And I think the season turns on its head all of a sudden and Liverpool are looking like they're going to make a run for the title again. So there's obviously two ways of looking at this run. The one is obviously it's going to be tough and there's, there's tough teams. But um, the optimist in me is thinking, go out and beat these teams and we can get the season properly started again. I'm going to be a pessimist straight away on that, Joe, and say Liverpool have only won one in eight away from home in the Premier League since the win at Chelsea. Obviously, the, the 7-0 down at Crystal Palace and only two away league wins all season. That really does need to change with this trip to, to Tottenham and then West Ham. Yeah, absolutely. Um like Connor, I, th- I kind of think they can turn things on its head if they, they win it at Tottenham on Thursday. And, you know, it, it, they can send out a bit of a statement. I think it's weird, isn't it? Because with Jose Mourinho being at Tottenham, I think a win over Tottenham feels feels like it means more. I think not just for the the, the, the supporters and the club, but the players as well. It, 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 makes it, it makes it into a much bigger game than perhaps it usually is. So, yeah... I think they can turn things around if they win these games, but it's tough. You know, looking at those fixtures there, they're not ideal. And, um, you know, Liverpool will really rue. I remember them coming out of sort of October and, you know, they'd seem to steady the ship without Van Dijk and they had a run of fixtures that looked favourable. You look at some of those games, the West Broms, the Fulhams and Brighton, you know, away and, and just think if Liverpool had picked up anywhere near, not even maximum points, they'd be comfortable at the top and it's frustrating but you know the, the weird nature of the season is that usually I would say Liverpool's away record and the, and the way they've drawn a lot of games 
you know, would totally put them out of the title picture, and I don't expect them to win the title now. I wouldn't bet on it. But this season's been so weird, and you just don't know. You know, six points can turn into to no points in no time, can't it? So, you know, you talk about Chelsea being in ninth. Well, Chelsea were, you know, in, in October, November, people were talking about them as one of Liverpool's major rivals. And, and they've all had to go. Leicester have been and gone. They're back again. Um, Man City, you know, were almost written off at the start of the season. Now they look ominous. United were laughed at, you know, midway through the season. Now people are talking about how they're back. It wouldn't surprise me if all these teams have 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 little problems and, and have bad runs of form. And Liverpool just need to put a run together. My big worry is Man City, though. You know, like Gorsi said, they're the sort of team that just they just feel like that sort of team that can win twelve games and then that. That's it. So um, they do look a little bit worrying right now, the way they're playing. But you never know. You just never know. Um, it's been a strange season. And um, <laughs> since lockdown, you know, the, the Premier League's kind of you know, been anyone's game. So, you know, the, in the past, I'd have, you know, laughed at the, the, the fact that Leicester could win the title. Now, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility. I think they're in there. So everyone can have a go. Um, Liverpool just needs to put a run together. And this the next five games is an opportunity. Uh, it could go either way, but you know, if they win win two or three of these big games, then they can put themselves right back in there. I think opportunity is exactly the right word, to be honest. Spot on. Yeah, let's just hope it's it's anyone apart from those across the park or those down the East Lanks. But uh, anyway, let's get into our, our team selector for the Tottenham game as ever. I will say Allison in goal and Gorsty, I'll come to you for the, the back four. Reese Williams for, for John Mateep and, and that is is the back five, I think. Anybody wanna sort of make a make a, a change to that or Connor, do you wanna take us on, on the midfield? No, Alisson should have done better with the Bruno Fernandes free kick. but um, He's not world-class, though. He's not world-class, Bruno Fernandes. Not world-class. <laughs> By the way, just, just to make a point on Bruno Fernandes, I did see a lot of people saying last night, he doesn't do anything in the big games. There you go, he's proven it. And I thought he came off the bench. He did all right. He scored a brilliant free kick. And, and I you know, I disagree. I think Alisson was well-beaten. I think it was a, a very difficult with the pace on it. Um, you know, I think his weight is on the wrong foot and he doesn't trust in the wall that he's put up. But, yeah, hey, perhaps, you know what, he's in goalkeeping, isn't it? Does Bruno um, Fernandes, though, not have that sort of Mohamed Salah quality? Obviously, Doyle always says that he's not world-class, but you watch him well, sometimes not, and think he, he doesn't look all that great, and then, bang, he comes up with a, a telling contribution like that. Look, I, I, you know, I, I disagree with Doyle. I do think he is world-class. I think he's he's been that good at United that, that surely, you know, what, what more could he, could he have done in the last 12 months? But the only thing I would say is I don't think he like proved anything yesterday. He has gone quite big games. Um, you know, one free kick doesn't mean that in the next big game he's going to go and dominate a team. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't think there's, there's suddenly this, he's underlying this point. I think he took a good free kick and that's the end of it. Fair enough. Connor, what about, what about the midfield for the Spurs game? The midfield. The midfield. Well, um, we obviously discussed Curtis Jones in that pod. Um, I want him to play. He'd be in my team for definite. Um, Henderson, I massively, massively hope he's back fit. Um, they've missed him big time. So, Henderson, Jones, and I'm going to keep Thiago in as well. Um, I think if Henderson can be at it, the way that Tottenham are going to sit deep, Thiago probably play a little bit deeper and let go, Jones go and create. Um, be my team, be my midfield. It has quietly gone under the, the radar, of course, Jordan Henderson's absence. What he, he 
did play against Manchester United, but then he's not played in the last two games. Joe, what would your midfield be? Would you praying that Henderson's back? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, Partly tempted to rest Thiago, but then I think, you know, if they don't have Henderson, then they don't really have the the, the personnel to. So if Henderson's fit, Thiago, Wijnaldum, Henderson. If Henderson isn't fit, then Thiago, Wijnaldum, Jones. Um, You know, I'd like to get Jones in the team, but I think if Henderson's fit, then that's, you know, by far your strongest three. So I'd go with that. But I would go with Henderson if he's fit in the more defensive role. What three would you like to see, Gorsty? Yeah, I completely agree with Joe. I think I think Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain might find himself increasingly marginalised now between now and the end of the season with less games to play and hasn't really, okay, been a little bit unfair that he's had his injury problems but hasn't really shown much when he's been allowed to play and, and navigator is it's news when, you know, when he's fit rather than when he's injured, isn't it? So, uh, Wijnaldum, Henderson if fit and uh, Thiago, if not, then uh, Curtis Jones. And uh, Joe, I'll let you lead us on the the front line. Is the forward three the forward three? It's got to be, hasn't it? It's got to be. Um, there's just no no real contenders right now. You know, Shakiri's done done decent bits when he's come in, showed a little bit of quality, but not done enough. Abrigi, you know, I, I think it's just passing time. Now it sounds harsh, but just sort of passing time towards the end of his career and his Liverpool career, I should say. And, yeah, the front three is the front three. You just got to hope that they're on it, and um, hopefully, it's a good step in the di- right direction for Salah and Firmino, and Mane can be on it as well. Anyone to make any alterations to that? Impossible. Yeah, same really. I mean, you, you you're making the case for them three to play when they're in form, and now you're making the case for them to play because there's no one else who can do anything. So um, yeah, they've got to start for me. Divock Origi could always come off the bench against Spurs and, and get a, a late goal to, to settle it. Hey, we've been down that road before. but Be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, it certainly would. Let's uh, let's go round on the score predictions then. Gorsi, I'll start with you. What's what's the score going to be? I'd, I'd, I'm reluctant to say a defeat, but it's, I just think Scotland, when they, when they click into gear, particularly at home, they can, I think they've got the ability to hurt Liverpool, so... Can I say 2-2 two, two draw? Yeah, you can say what you want, yeah. 2-2, two, two, that's that's, yeah. that's fine. Connor? What? I don't want to sit on the fence, but yeah. A hard draw, but incredibly optimistic 2-1. 2-1. Two, one. <laughs> two, one. It was 1-0 down there last season, wasn't it? Joe, what's the, what's the score going to be? Again, want to be optimistic. Um, you know, and I, I kind of think Liverpool will dominate possession. and But it's hard to look past their current form, isn't it? So, um, yeah, I, I would lean towards a draw, but I hope it's a win. <laughs> so, one, one draw is uh, my reputation. Right, well, Connor, ever the optimist, the uh, the man to hopefully have the scoreline right in the Liverpool win down at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Remember to stick across the Liverpool Echo for all the pre-match build-up, the live match blog and the post-match analysis. Also across the Blood Red channel, we're still analysing Anfield to come this week, tactically previewing the trip to Tottenham. And of course, we will have plenty of reaction across the Blood Red channel. But from myself, Guy Clark, Joe Rimmer, Connor Dunn and Paul Gorse, thanks for your time and your company here. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.